Ayo, hey, welcome to the winner's circle. Special edition flow, I guess. Chuck Tomasi making moves so pivotal. It's all respect from the team for real. Chuck's a legend with literal skills that kill. A black belt youper with the cleanest bow tie. Like a shit from Star Trek, he's literally so fly. Diving deep, cracking codes, taking gnarly picks. Beat cancer in a fist fight, that's hardly it. Been putting work in since 10, he's one of nine kids. Love and respect, boss man, handle your biz. You might have heard of him on breaking point or stunting at the roller rink to make a point. Win a circle, winners win, I'm feeling y'all can't stop me. Enjoy the special episode with Chuck Tomasi. Come on, yeah, winners win, baby. Yeah, welcome to the winner's circle. All right, Corey, what are we chatting about today? Dude, let me tell you, like, we've got an extra special guest with us today on the pod. We've got the man, the myth, the bow tie himself, Chuck Tomasi. The Chuck Tomasi. Hey, how's the... it going? Chuck, Chuck Norris Tomasi. <laughs> it's nice, Bill. When, when you're talking about somebody special today, I was going to say, let me know when he shows up. <laughs> all right chuck. but we wanted to do something different about it this time because we love chuck because we know chuck but do we really know chuck i think with this episode what we wanted to do is introduce everybody to the chuck you never knew we said we were never going to talk about that time i was in jail <laughs> i'm kidding Which time I'm... you were in jail <laughs> <laughs> that time we shared a bunk <laughs> it was really cold outside, though. Listen, <laughs> I'll drag this show down with me. I'm not trying to freeze it here. <laughs> uh, oh, we are off to a great start. Let <laughs> that set the tone for where we're going today. And speaking about a start, which of the nine kids were you in your family? I'm number six. I'm number six. So in order, there were three girls, then three boys. Then a girl, and if you don't think God has a sense of humor, he gave my mom twins at the end. So a boy. Oh, wow. (laughs) Next, Suzette, Julie, Marilyn, Richard, Vincent, Chuck, or Charles. I'll do the proper names first, then I'll do the canonicals later. The the other way around, whatever it is. Charles, Martha, Paul, and Audrey. Or as we would call them, Susie, Julie, Mimi, Rico, Vince, Chuck, Marty, Paul, and Audrey. Rico. Rico. I have a brother Rico. So all of my, my kids have an uncle Rico. Is that That's... is that a common youper name? No, it's just a shortened version of Richard. He was named after my maternal grandfather. We all have most of us, I should say, have a little bit of family name in our name somewhere. Like I've got my dad's middle name as my middle name. What was that like? I'm an only child, so I got zero idea, but I think most people have like one or two bro- brothers and sisters, but it was it was interesting being somewhere in the middle. I could take examples from my older brothers and sisters and either use them to my advantage or disadvantage as I chose. So I would see, you know, Marilyn come home late and get in trouble for that. I said, well, I don't want to be doing that when I get older. So don't go out and stay out late. Let your parents know when you're there if you can help it. And then I would also get terrorized or harassed because older brothers and sisters remember stupid things you do and continuously remind you of them. But yet I had four or three younger brothers and sisters that I could turn around and do that to as well. So my younger brother, Paul, is three years younger than me. My older brother, Vince, is three years older than me. So yeah, I I was right in that sweet spot. I I was often a, a mediator or an avoider, if I just wanted to put it that way. 
And that was something that I didn't realize until later in life that I needed to get over that. I needed to get out in front. One of the things about being in a family of nine is uh, there was always like this competition at the dinner table to see who could get in the funniest last remark. So we'd always be like trying to one up each other. And that still lives on. We got together last summer for my dad's 89th birthday. And there were seven of us there, and it was the same as being at a birthday party 30 years ago. I mean, it was it was outrageous. I mean, 45, 50 years ago, now that I think about it. It was fun. It was funny. It was warm. It was emotional. And in a family of nine, you, you wanted to make sure that you were recognized or noticed in some way, whether it be through that humor or hopefully not some sort of inappropriate outburst. Because once in a while, as we were loading up the station wagon or the van or whatever vehicle we had at the time to haul this cadre of children around, uh, somebody might be left behind. <laughs> oh, home alone. <laughs> we, we get, yeah, no, well, or or at the place we went, we went out to the beach. There was a there was an outlet for a power plant where the water would come out warmer than the surrounding Lake Superior water. We grew up in Marquette, Michigan on the shores of Lake Superior. And in summertime, the temperature was, oh, a whopping maybe 55 degrees, which is, you know, what about 12 Celsius for all our international friends. And there was a time when my sister Marilyn got left at what we affectionately called the hot pond. <laughs> there, we, we started a phrase and it had a little jingle. And we left the Mimi at the hot pond. We left the <laughs> Mimi. Well, years later, I've got kids of my own and they met my, my sister Marilyn for the first time. And my oldest daughter goes, are you the Mimi that got left at the hot pond? And so she took your kids out and left them at the hot pond. <laughs> it's one way to cut the cost of living. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot there to process. <laughs> I'm just going to unload. You ask a question, I'm going to go where it takes me. So a couple of things I want to say. I, your upbringing uh, sounds remarkably close to mine, right? Like the fact that I had an older brother who routinely got into trouble. And I looked at his, his exploits and thought, yeah, I should not do that, right? And, and so I had a whole book full of things that I wasn't going to do because I seen him do those things and I didn't want to be in that kind of trouble, right? But then I also had a younger brother that I was hopefully passing some of that stuff down to. But the problem is, is that, my older brother got into so much trouble that he set such a good or bad example for me, however you want to think about it, right, that I never got in any trouble. So my, my younger brother, four years younger than me, never had that example of what not to do. So he gets into all the trouble. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and it didn't always, you know, it wasn't always about their bad examples. My older brothers and sisters set some wonderful examples. My older brother, Rico, we had a family business. Are you ready for another story? Okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My, my, you know, with a family of nine, you have to find a way to keep these kids occupied, start setting up a college fund and whatnot. So my dad was pretty much the breadwinner in our family. He was the director of conferences and continuing education at Northern Michigan University. We were a single income family with nine kids. That's, that's unbelievable. I won't get into the ways that my mom would stretch the budget today, but he had a dive shop. They got interested in scuba diving in the late 60s. They were early pioneers. Mm. And in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Lake Superior has a beautiful freshwater shipwrecks dating back to the 1800s, something you don't find very often. And they said, hey, you know, let's also combine our interest with our family. So I started work at the age of 10, which I figure I was re able for retirement about 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I literally got my first paycheck at the tender age of 10 and went, why? I thought I worked, you know, four hours this week. Why is this check so small? Said, Welcome to taxes. So, yeah, <laughs> it was it was a nice reality check. But it also taught us how to save the value of a dollar. You want new clothes or new shoes or something? You're welcome to pay for it because or you can wait for the annual budget to come out and we'll figure out what we can afford for you. So it's a nice way to teach us ownership, respect of property, you know, all those things about money that you want your kids to, to learn about. But it also taught us that we were involved in this business, started out very light. I mean, 10 years old, what can you do? Well, you can count boxes. I learned inventory control. Oh, you, nice. You can, and as we grew, we learned more about customer service and sales and shipping. And it wasn't a big business. You got to remember, we were only open initially like three nights a week for a couple of hours because we went to school. We <laughs> had work time job. Yeah, it, uh, a whole many, many stories about sales reps coming to our house and you know what having these snot-nosed 13, 14-year-old kids go, hey, kid, you know, my, my dad wasn't selling the equipment. He'd go, boys, what do you think of this new mask from you know U.S. divers or decor or whatever? And you know, we'd look at it and go, we can't sell that. It's ugly. You know, and <laughs> there's a rep who drove up from Chicago seven hours to the Upper Peninsula going, I didn't come up here to be harassed by these kids, but he knew that if we didn't have faith in the product, we couldn't sell it. You know, we, right. it, it, it's a, right. lot of, a lot of great core values that lasted the rest of our life were formulated in that childhood. Man, Chuck, I'm just thinking here, right? Like I can see so much from that, um, that story. I can see so much of how like maybe that stuff shaped you now. Like you talked about customer service and you probably have one of the best customer service personalities of anyone I've ever met, right? Oh, like most from the screwiness of my big family too. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, learning it at 10 as well, like it's really hard to, uh, to, to, to shake something like that out once you've internalized it so young and for so long. It, it wasn't like immediately at 10 years old, I had customer service. It had to evolve. You know, you, you learn these skills over time. And coupled with the dive shop, we also ran a charter shipwreck diving in Munising, Michigan, about 40 miles to the east of us because there were better shipwrecks over there. So we bought a boat. We'd get people from all over the Midwest, Iowa and Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. They would book weekends with us with group travel. And our job was to take them to the shipwrecks, give them an orientation, the safety talk, all this stuff. As I got older, uh, I was expected to get a charter captain's license. Again, my dad worked a full-time job. So he couldn't always be there. And every once in a while you get, you know, Jay Chester from Minneapolis going, uh, we'd like to book the week of the 4th of July. Well, 4th of July is on a Wednesday this week. So dad can't make it. He's working. But right. one of his boys can because they're certified Coast Guard charter captains. So we would, <laughs> you have, in order to take money for more than six people, you have to have a, a chartered captain's license. We got that. But, you know, being in this, Kind of, you got to know the groups. They you're you're actually a literal ship captain too, right? Well, <laughs> you have to renew every five years, and mine expired like 25 years ago. So, yeah, I I renewed it like once. That I, I won't get into the whole trials and tribulations of achieving that reg that certification. But the uh, the the groups would come back, and you knew Bruce Hoopman from Addison, Illinois, and he'd come up three times a year. So you get to know these people as as friends. Sometimes you'd have them for over for dinner. Sometimes they'd ask you, hey, when you're done, come on over and we'll have a cookout at the campgrounds, whatever. And, and we would start messing with them. So 
when you get on the boat, you'd set up, you put the tank on the bench and you bungee it to the bench. And then they'd sit down at the shipwreck site. You drive the boat out there, you get to the boat, they'd put on their tank and vest and whatnot. And us wise acres were standing on the gunnel. Now that's the lip of the, of the boat, the edge of the boat, sort of between the back of the bench and the part that drops off into the water. There's just like this little six, eight inch walkway that you can navigate on. Generally, it was to help people, but every once in a while, us wisecrackers would retie the bungee back to the tank. So when somebody went to stand up, they'd get yanked back down to their seat. <laughs> we would call those bench divers. Nice. And get a laugh and go, oh, I must have forgot. No, no, you didn't forget. That 17-year-old with the grin on his face behind you did it. <laughs> oh, man. It's a 12 minutes in, and we got one of... 10, 11 points? <laughs> we might have to do a part two on this. Chuck, tell us what a Uber is. Oh, good question. And, and where, do we, where, where, where do we buy one? <laughs> it's a state of mind. A, a Uber comes from the words Upper Peninsula. Michigan has two peninsulas. The lower peninsula is shaped like a mitten. The upper peninsula is above it and connected physically to Wisconsin. Between there is the Straits of Mackinac, the Mackinac Bridge. You can look it up. It separates Lake Michigan from Lake Huron. Okay, so the Upper Peninsula is often abbreviated as UP. Well, when you say UP enough, it becomes a youper. So a person who lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is a youper. And the person who lives in the Lower Peninsula, because they are below the bridge, we called them trolls. They didn't like that. And how would the youper know when he's in the presence of another youper? Oh, usually by the accent. The heritage of a lot of the people that settled in the Upper Peninsula is Finnish. So you'll often hear them talking like, Eno and Toivo was out on a boat, and Eno jumps over and paints a big X on the bottom of the boat. So he comes up and Toivo says, Eno, what you doing there? Oh, I wanted to mark our spot so we knew where to come back to fish. You know. <laughs> Right. I have. It reminds me a lot of like Newfoundlanders. Yeah. I mean, right? you can substitute Ano and Toivo for right. about any nationality. You go over <laughs> Minnesota, it's uh, Sven and Oli. You know, it, it's the same kind of jokes, only they're Norwegian instead of Finnish. My, my stepfather in law sounded just like that. I mean, it was, it, I could imitate Ben. His last name was Makala. <laughs> if that's not a finished name, I don't know what is. Chuck, let me ask this question. We're we're 15 minutes into this, uh, and, and neither neither Rob and I have stopped laughing this entire time. <laughs> How the hell did you get so funny? <laughs> it's the Chuck you never knew. <laughs> okay, a lot so, of it, a lot of it was just the upbringing. We were we were raised in a very positive environment. Yes, we had rules, we had guidelines. It wasn't just a free for all, but it was a very loving environment. Having nine kids, you were never want for company. We lived in an older section of town, we needed a big house. We had a big Victorian home that was built in 1882. My dad was constantly fixing it up. That was like his winter project. Was like, hey, let's go do this bathroom, or we, we got to do the kitchen. And uh, so you, you could find areas of privacy if you wanted that. But oftentimes, it, it, we didn't have friends in the neighborhood too much. There was, there was like Jane Sabin, who was you know, kind of next door. 
but there weren't many kids our age. So if you wanted to have a quick basketball game in the backyard, hey, Paul, you want to go play? Vince, what are you doing? Until they got older and got girlfriends and whatnot. That was that was terrifying to me. So just by virtue of, of coming from a big family and, and having to, I guess, compete, you, you had to kind of mark a place out for yourself. That's a... Yeah, it, it, it really was. In fact, we have a, a text chain right now that most of the brothers and sisters are on. And it can get nuts sometimes, especially if I'm trying to work and they're just like doing that one-upmanship on the comment. Ooh, it's like, yeah. hey, here's a picture of my dog. Your dog looks like he's on rage, <laughs> rage drugs or something. Like, okay. And then it gets funnier and funnier and like, ding, ding, ding. I'm like, trying to work. Put on the do not disturb for an hour and hope it goes away. <laughs> Has anybody asked you on a podcast about the bow tie? A few, a few, but we'll give you the canonical answer from the source. It started as an act of rebellion. Actually, it was Knowledge 13, and we were told the dress code is going to be black shirts, black pants, black socks, black black underwear if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, we're going to either look like a funeral dirge or a Johnny Cash convention. I'm not sure how you... <laughs> the idea was, if you spotted somebody dressed all in black, that's an employee. You know, not that lanyards made any difference, but I said, I've got to... I, you know, my childhood kicked in. How do I stand out? How do I mark myself as being unique without really going overboard? And my first thought was, I know I'll wear a black kilt and the Sporin will be the old power logo. Well, I don't look good in a kilt. I don't have the knees for it or something. And, <laughs> and honestly, I didn't want to try you know, teaching the pre-con training in a kilt and all that stuff. So about 2 a.m. on a cold Wisconsin morning, because we lived in Wisconsin from oh, 88 to 2014. And uh, I wake up at 2 a.m., middle of February, and I go, I've got it. I'm going to make a bow tie. I have no idea how I'm going to make a bow tie, but I'm going to make a bow tie. So it was one of those adventure games where you got to kill the dragon. Before you kill the dragon, you got a magic spear. A magic spear, you got to get a ring and get the ring. You got to unlock the door. You know, it's one of these yeah. engineering yeah. things. How do I get to bow tie? And I found a place that made bow ties. And she said, I can sew them if you get the fabric. So I got who spells the fabric? Oh, you can go to spoonflower.com. So I went to Spoonflower. You can have the fabric if you can upload the image. I'm not a graphic designer. Who do I know that's a graphic designer? Craig, my buddy Craig, he, he, he's good at graphics. So, you know, kind of worked my way backwards and sent this off. Meanwhile, I'm trying to do my regular day job through all this fun. And February becomes March, March becomes April. And I ordered the pattern on the fabric, sent the fabric off to the lady who sews them in Maine. She sends them back three weeks before knowledge, wrong color fabric. It was pink and those power icons were too small. They looked like dots. I went, oh, oh clearly this isn't going to work. And she apologized and said, I'll send the next ones for free if you can get me the new fabric. So I went back and I said, send me a swatch because Spoonflower has this weight with RGB codes on. I'm like, I need fire engine red. Well, it turned out to be more tomato soup red, but it was redder than pink. And <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm on a business trip to Singapore trying to orchestrate this from afar. I think it came in maybe a day or two before we went to Knowledge 13, and I wore it there, and it worked. I mean, it, it was like, okay, I'm wearing my black shirt, but I also have a red bow tie. That popped, and it was, it was close enough to being on brand. Nobody said anything. We didn't have brand police back then. Uh, <laughs> did I just say something yesterday? Yeah, uh, 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 uh. Isn't it laughing like you've encountered this before? 
2013. You watch some of the first Tech Now videos, like those early jelly videos, there's no bow tie. So that yeah. didn't come along oh. until after I got the bow tie at knowledge. And then it, it became a thing. I, I, re, I knew it was going to be a serious thing when I got to knowledge 14 and 15. And I'd be checking in for the hotel at knowledge. And somebody says, Chuck, where's your bow tie? I, I just got I'm on a car, man. Give me a break. In my <laughs> so now I like have to put it on on the way to the hotel and make sure I don't forget it. And I've got it all the time. So it, it it became its own entity and a very identifiable brand. And like most of my career, it was just a pure accident. And I feel very blessed yet confused. <laughs> it's not the best thing, though, right? Like, I mean, there's so much of my career that's an accident. So I, I, I totally get it how you just kind of luck up into something and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And you just keep it, right? You just keep sure, going with man. it. Or maybe I should write a book or something. There's got to be some outcome of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. It's ironically, uh, knowledge 13, which is in 2013 was my first knowledge. So I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in the story here instead of say that when you discovered the bow tie, I discovered service. Awesome. Do you remember <laughs> you any pre-con training? I did. I What'd did. Uh, I cannot remember. Orchestration that. maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Rob, what did you do in 2013? 2013 was my third knowledge, but probably my real favorite. At Knowledge 11, I was like, oh my God, clients actually speak at events and teach classes. And maybe <laughs> if I work really hard someday, someday maybe I'll be able to speak at an event. And Knowledge 12, I got a speaking engagement, but it was like right after some huge party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So oh, yeah. They have had like five people show when? up and I'm just like, right. you rate me five out of five, I'll keep the lights down low and I'll talk real soft. That used to drive me nuts. <laughs> Wednesday night, and you've got the speaking session. Yeah, hey, I'm right. first day. Going, that's right. Oh, yeah. you got to be kidding me. I'm not feeling this either. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> knowledge 13 was, I was just like taking another shot at it. I'm like, oh, I hope people like my idea. I don't know. And I was feeling all weird. And my belt broke, and my, my pants were loose. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay. Not a whole bunch of people are going to show up. And I walk in the door, and it's people were standing. It was so packed. The things you remember. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'm like, half this session, I got my hand like behind my back, trying to look all casual, holding my pants up. And guys in the hood, just pantsing around, eyes holding up in the front. Nothing gets you less worried about what you're going to say than worrying about your pants falling down. That's a nightmare scenario, man. That's nightmare fuel. Speaking about stuff that keeps your pants up, I bet you that <laughs> not a lot of people know that you have a black. I, I that was a very interesting segue. If I must, <laughs> it was pretty good. I planned that from the beginning. I swear. <laughs> yes, I uh, did sport karate in Appleton. My daughter. When she was like in fifth grade or sixth grade, we were at one of these winter carnival things and the karate school showed up and said, hey, congratulations, Lisa, you won a free month of karate lessons. And I had been by their school a number of times. They were in a mall at the time and I'd walk by and I would see these little kids going, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, going, what is the attraction of this? Why do, and it's full, it's full. It's, I'm like, wow, what are they, they must be doing something right. Well, my daughter got in there. And that's when I understood. I was, I was observing, you know, parents got to sit on the bench while the kids do the karate. They would dedicate part of the class to 
a floor chat. They say, okay, everybody gather around. This is January. It's the month of attitude of gratitude. We're going to learn about how to be more appreciative of things. And it was that kind of stuff, the attitude, the confidence, the discipline that they got out of that, that really resonated with her and with me as the value prop for mm. that class. And of course, after about four months, I went, you know, I'm closing in on 40. I better uh, get doing something because the metabolism is only going to carry me so far. So I joined and it was a great father-daughter thing to do, especially since she outranked me most of the way. She got her her black belt. It took three years of the program to, to get the black belt. She got hers in early 2009. I got mine later in 2009. And then we both decided to go on for our second degree black belt. And they only do these tests once every six months for the black belt. Well, she had uh, an injury or something. To get second degree, it only takes two more years. And so that meant we synced up to get our second degree black belts together. So we have a very wonderful picture with that in 2011. She stopped at that point. I continued on for three more years to get my third degree, which was about the time we were going to be moving from Wisconsin to Arizona. And with third degree, I always wanted to get to my third degree because the thing I remember about seeing other people get to their third degree was you could make up your own test. Well, that oh. sounds all great on the surface until you have to write it up and give it to the master instructor and go, how's this? <laughs> and you don't want to play yourself short, but yet you don't want to leave yourself laying on the tarmac halfway through the test. So I really wanted to do the weapons test. Yeah, it, it, there were, oh. were part of the karate thing. They had size, they had bow staffs, they had nunchucks, they had, and my weapon of choice was the bow staff. Uh, it had been since I got one when I first got to be, was it a black belt or green belt or something? I forgot. Uh, so I had been working on this and I made a custom form around the bow staff with the help of a third or fourth degree black belt as well. I said, Logan, come here. I mean, uh, Mr. Everett, I said, you have to refer to people as Mr. This and Mrs. That. But he helped me create this and then I perfected it for the test. Uh, but it was it was a slog fest because the first thing you have to do is run two miles. And I'm not oh. a runner, so I had to build up that endurance for about three months before the test. And unfortunately, when I ran on the track across the street from the school, they eventually built their own school, a very nice school, and I coupled that with jujitsu, Gracie jujitsu. So I've got a blue belt in jujitsu as well. <laughs> yeah. And, how I got anything done, because I'm looking at my business travel calendar going, when did I actually do karate? But somehow I got it done, because you had to go a minimum number of times to get progressed to your next rank. So Dude, you're making me feel like a loaf over here, I swear. Seriously. <laughs> I look back at it, I, I, I couldn't do that today. I don't know how I would do that. But you, you, know, you make time for the priorities in your life. So I, I ran my 20 miles, but I ran it in like, two minutes faster than I should have. So I spent oh. all my gas on the track and now you still got to go back and do 90 minutes worth of intense workout, ending with sparring with all the master instructors going, oh, I'm going to get kicked in the face again. I can't keep my hands up. I mean, you earn that black belt, but you also become a black belt. So it's something that I repainted the room so it's not hanging proudly on the wall anymore, but every color belt right up first, second and third degree I think I even got a keychain that was embroidered with the date and the three stripes on the belt. So, yeah, very happy to do that. And since 2014, I've done little to nothing except for <laughs> morning walks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's one inspirational. And two, sounds like the beginning of an action flick. 
where, you know, you're this ServiceNow guy, you know, developer, nine to five, you're walking down the road. And then all of a sudden, something ninjas jump out and you haven't done karate in 10 years. Something clicks. It, it, it will. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, um, their situational awareness is very important. And do you know, I mean, the, I think it was Mike Tyson said uh, the fight plan is only as good until the first punch gets thrown. But you know, to come up with an idea, a plan to know who is where and is this a fight or a flight thing? Um, not that I'm always in paranoid mode, but my morning walk yesterday, uh, I'm walking along the sidewalk and this car pulls up, I mean, this beat up old POS car pulls up really fast and stops right behind me. And am I going to get shot? Am I going to run over? What's going on here? You know, so that, that, that instinct kicks in or the training kicks in going, what's my next move? I kept walking. Turns out he's just doing a 6.30 a.m. delivery for Amazon. Oh, so he's man, I... like a lunatic, stopping real fast, runs up to somebody's house, drops off a package, gets back in his car and takes off. Okay, well, good to be prepared. Yeah, I'm on team paranoia on that one, man. You can't be too yeah. careful. Yeah, I'm, really I'm, from, I'm from the hood. Like, I, that, that guy, he's, I don't know. I not have made it out. I didn't want to attack the Amazon driver. <laughs> Uh, you never know. I mean, save the environment, attack the Amazon, uh, attack the Amazon driver. That I, works. Technically, you, know, you got to be careful with that stuff, though, because if you are trained in martial arts and you, you know, you get a lawsuit slapped on you pretty easily for damn for uh, what is it? Assault? It, it's. It, oh, yeah. Because you're like a deadly weapon now or something, right? Right. If it comes up in court, hey, he broke my arm. And oh, by the way, he's got martial arts training. That doesn't look good. You got to have a really good defense. Go, well, first of all, you pulled a gun on me. I disarmed you, took you to the ground, put you in an arm lock, and you wouldn't submit. Yeah. Oh, so, I'm trying not to get political. <laughs> so, Chuck. <laughs> you want to go from here? I'm just going to press my own cancel button. <laughs> so, I. So what I'd like to know, I mean, so this is a one is a, a whole lot of stuff I didn't know about you. You're incredibly interesting and interesting background, right? Like you were incredibly interesting before I knew all of this stuff about you. Tell me how how all of this stuff from your past, right? For instance, the fact that you're just incredibly funny. How does that impact how you do your job and relate to people today? Oh, my gosh. I, I, I think this is the culmination. I'll be honest. I'm playing the back nine on this career golf course, hoping to get to the 19th hole soon. And uh, it, golfers will know that's a reference for the bar. After oh, the nice. So the, uh, I don't think we're going to allow you to retire, though, Chuck, just so you know. <laughs> it, it, it may be a month. It may be 10 years. I don't know. There's, there's no date on the calendar right now. But it, it's coming. And I know it's been coming. In fact, if somebody asked me what, how long you've been planning on retirement, since I was 10 years old and started working. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> it's coming. It sucks. I wanted to know how. What happens after this, you know, when you're done working? And I have never counted on Social Security being there. And every day it looks like it's going to be less and less likely. So I've been saving with the 401k and saving in stocks and saving in the bank. You know, so being prepared for whatever the future holds. But anyway, where were we? what was the question? Oh, uh, it's easy in retrospect to look back and, and say, oh, that contributed to this. Um, but right now, it's like everything has come together. My technical 
background. I got interested in tech in the early 80s. I was that kid that would stay after school to play with the computers because there were only like two in the whole high school of hundreds or thousands of people. So I, I had to get my time and I'd crack the book open and then I'd walk two miles in the snow uphill both ways, sob, sob story. <laughs> it, it was no shoes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the boots later. It was the UP. The, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was the technical plus the social part of building that community came out of uh, when I was in college, my buddy and I got involved with and then later created a dial-up bulletin board service. Now, this is this like pre-pet days. Yeah. So, late cool. 80s, we're, we're managing this community and growing it. Granted, it was a local community or whatever the local dialing area was going to be. And, and that got me involved with support and more customer service and community and writing style, whether it's formal or informal. So a lot of skills along the way coupled together to bring me to where I am now. My previous company, I was there for 22 years, was a a fountain of more technical skills, learning ports and protocols, networking, you know, more of the technical stuff. I worked among electrical engineers and printed circuit board engineers and mechanical engineers, and they were great for obviously the, the camaraderie, but also the knowledge. Do you know how a mechanical mouse works? It's called quadrature waveform output. Thank you, Fred Schleifer. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was at least 30 I years ago. I don't know well, for the day on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I looked, I had that blank deer in the headlights look to it like, you want to say that again and try explaining it? And then he drew the, you know, the little chart of when this signal goes high and this one goes low. And it's like, because my question was, Fred, you're moving your mouse forward up the screen and you stop. How does the mouse know when you go backwards or forwards from that starting point? Ding. There's four states, not just two on and off. That's that's what it boiled down to. So anyway, getting to the career today, this is a lot of fun because I get to take the creativity, the humor. In fact, we were talking about, oh, we want to come out with a community newsletter on LinkedIn. What do we want to call this thing? Oh, the creative juices and the humor juices were flowing big time. You, it, I'm in marketing, so you can't throw out bad ideas. You just keep throwing out ideas and we'll figure out later what's what's not working or not. So it really is fun to take the creative aspects, the technical aspects, blend them together. And with a platform like ServiceNow, you, you can't not be passionate and excited about it. So it's something awesome. I, I really feel blessed to be where I am at, at this point. Yeah. Um, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Corey. No, I, I thumped them both. <laughs> I was, uh, well, I was going to like on the topic of blessings and kind of also close to the topic of fighting. Somebody told me that you are a cancer survivor. I am. I am. I got a new doctor shortly after we moved to Phoenix, a guy from our church. He's, he's no longer my doctor because plans change, blah, blah, blah. But he saw me at my first appointment. Wonderful guy. Top to bottom examination, literally. Uh, no pun intended there. But <laughs> he, he, he you know, checked me out. He did the old man exam. And, you know, said, oh, you know, your prostate's a little enlarged, but we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, that was, I think, 20, late 2016. Went back. What, to how are they going to keep an eye on your prostate? I just, tell me. Uh, they, I'm not going to go there. Wait, I just did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> late 2017, he checks me again. He goes, yeah, it's still kind of enlarged. I'd like to refer you to a urologist. And I said, okay, let's, you know, let's not mess with this. And uh, oddly enough, 
he ordered me up some labs because you got to have what they call a PSA test. It's not a public service announcement. It checks for indicators that may lead to cancer. And they came back a little elevated. Well, the day after I left his office, I, I saw him on a Tuesday, had to follow up with him the following Tuesday for those lab tests. That Wednesday, right after I just saw him, I got appendicitis. Oh. And had it taken out on Thursday. So I come back the following Tuesday going, hey, doc, you missed something. And I've got four holes in me. (laughs) (laughs) Just what happened? And so I explained I got appendicitis. Well, he said, you know, your PSAs came a little elevated. I'm going to refer you to your urologist. The urologist says, okay, yeah, we're going to do a biopsy on you. So we scheduled that for like December of 2017. And uh, I'm going to stop right here before I get to the end, because if there's any guys out there who have encountered this, you know somebody, I am an open book. I, I put myself out there and will listen, will share what my experience is. Sometimes it's nice to have a sympathetic ear because cancer will mess with your mind in ways you do not understand yet, or maybe you've been through it. So if anybody just wants to talk or needs somebody to listen to, I'm here. I'm here for you. And I, I even said this to one of my uh, Uber drivers. Somehow we got on this discussion and I went, dude, here's my card. Call me if you ever get diagnosed. Cause he said he's, he's keeping an eye on it as well. So anyway, we, we did the biopsy. They came back positive. Uh, it was stage two is what they told me Two B, I think, cause I had it on both hemispheres in the prostate. And uh, the, I said, well, let's take it out. He said, we well, got to wait six weeks after the biopsy. Cause you got to, I don't know why you got to heal up for something they're going to take out anyway, but that's the process. So February 23rd, went in for surgery, had my prostate removed because there, there's cancer, there's surgery, there's, there's different treatments. And I said, no, get it out, get it out. And it was only in the labs afterwards because they do a lab, they take the nearby lymph nodes because yeah. if in the lymph nodes, yeah, you're probably not in a good state. It's more like stage four. It wasn't in the lymph nodes, thank goodness, but it was more elevated than they thought from the biopsy. It was actually stage 3A. And I went, that's why I had it taken out right away, as fast as possible. Now, that's not the proper course for everybody. Everybody's situation is different. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not making any advisement here. You do what you feel is best for your family, your situation, et cetera. Well, my goal for getting it, the secondary goal for getting it taken out as quickly as possible was I still wanted to be at knowledge 18. (laughs) And surgery from prostate surgery is a journey. Recovery from that surgery is a journey. Uh, It was it was pretty brutal the first few weeks. You're just walking or sitting down or uh, and and I got to knowledge 18. Uh, It wasn't very comfortable most of the time, especially later in the day after being on my feet all the time. But I made it. I mean, Lily Lee will tell you when the when we walked from the Palazzo to the Mirage. I was in serious old man staggering mode going, oh, this is, this is not comfortable anymore. I, I'd rather not do this. But made it through that, and uh, it's, it, it's been a full recovery ever since. After the surgery, you get tested for PSAs every quarter for the first couple of years, then it's every half year, and then it goes down to annually. So it's always been coming back as zero, 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 zero. So there's no indication that anything has ever spread. So... That's my story. And again, if anybody is out there, if you got diagnosed or if you've got indicators or if it's, I'm here, reach out to me, find me on LinkedIn. Wow. 
Well, you know, first I want to say I'm, I'm glad that you beat the hell out of cancer. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> I had, I had a, a classmate, a, a high school classmate that was diagnosed like 30 days after me. His surgery wasn't until May. So he was, you know, a couple months behind me in surgery. But we had the most, uh, I, would, I would call them intimate, personal phone calls. We'd, we'd call at first it was like once a month then, or once a week. And then it became once a month. And then we started texting and I still text him every once in a while. Like, hey, Don, how's it going? Uh, sailboat you know, is working well. Got a new sailboat. Blah, 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 blah. So we kept in touch. It, it drew us closer than we ever were previous in our lifetime. He's also kind of related to me. Remember me talking about Uncle Ben the, or Grandpa Ben, the Finlander? It's his son, stepson, son-in-law. So we're kind of related through marriage, remarriage, in-laws and kind of stuff. So yeah, it kind of became a, a fun relationship like that to talk to Don. Wow. Nice. And th so that's, that's amazing. And, you know, from being in this situation, right, where you're fighting for essentially fighting for your life. And then you have a friend who is going through pretty much the exact same thing yeah. at, at the exact same time. Yeah. Right? And, and his doctor would tell him, you know, did you try this medication? Or how about this appliance or this? What is he telling you that mine may have missed? Or, and then I could go to my doctor and say, hey, I heard about this option. Is that for me? Well, we could consider that and da, da, da. So it was, it was more information is better. Just like in the tech industry, knowledge right. is power. The more you know, the more options you've got, the more tools in your arsenal you've got. So it was just another one of those situations, only on a more personal level. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, so number one, right, like really happy to have this conversation with you. But number two, happy to be able to give this part of the message to platform, right, for folks who are out there who might have gone through this, who might be going through this, who might go through it in the future, to just kind of shine that light and, and let folks know that, you know, hey, you, you can't beat this. It yeah. is possible. And, you know, you keep your chin up, right? The other thing that cancer will do to you is it makes you appreciate life way more. I know that's yeah. very cliche. A lot of people say it. It is absolutely 100% true. Hopefully, you can learn to appreciate life without getting a major life-threatening illness or incident. But the definitely, you know, I, I remember I was recuperating like a week or so after. My boss's boss sent me an email that said, take whatever time you need. We've got you covered. And I was in tears. I don't know what happened, but this emotional dial went extremely soft on me. And I, I, it, it's still there. It's just dialed back a little bit. So I don't cry over email anymore. But it, it really does. Like, man, I, I don't know what I did to deserve this appreciation or, or support. But it's really nice that people are there. And that means the world. And that's, that plays into the way I envision our ServiceNow community, the, the coworkers that I've got, the family that's out there. It really is a wonderful thing. And, and I truly, truly appreciate that. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you just, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, I can't even imagine. It, it gets me a little emotional thinking about it, truthfully, because, you know, just hearing about like the, the support, right? Like, you know, in, in, in this situation that, that you got and, you know, in hearing, you know, a little bit of that residual emotion still in your voice, right? I know you're trying to try to hide it a little bit, but I can kind of hear it there. And I don't know, just I've, I've had folks in, in my family too. So touch us a little bit. We've had you talking for a long time, Chuck. So yeah, let's go right to the bleeding edge here. <laughs> we got a couple more. <laughs> uh, go for it. No, go for it. Yeah. Chuck, f favorite episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, man. Oh. oh, man. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Born in Albuquerque, I'll tell you. 
You know, I'm going to have to go with, it's a toss-up. It really is. Between All Good Things, the final episode. Okay. Or Best of Both Worlds, obviously, part one and part two, you know, where Picard gets taken as Locutus. We've been into okay. Borg earlier, but this is really where it was in your face. Like, oh my gosh, this was for the repeat, really old people. It's almost like a who shot JR moment when they closed out that episode going, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, Best of Both Worlds, part one and two is very, very good. I have always had a secret cosplay desire to dress up as a Borg, but a little too complicated. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd the, be awesome. Other, the other one that I would love to do is Saru from Discovery. I didn't watch okay. Discovery. Yeah, not familiar with this. It's all. Uh, it's uh, he is a Kelpian, which is more like a almost like a lizard. Now, Doug Jones is the, the actor. He is a very tall, lanky individual, and he wears these hoof boots. So that adds to his height. He's a very, very tall character in the show. Walking on those things has got to be a nightmare. I'm not worried about the boots yet. I'm. This is all predicated on me finding a good Saru mask. I found some crap. Seriously, ones. that's a. <laughs> I just looked it up on the Google, and it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Doug Jones. He is as a as a human being. He's already like six four. So mm -hmm. he's he's a tall individual. Wow. And yeah. That's shoot. That came out of nowhere too. Cosplay. Hold on a second. Back up. <laughs> <laughs> it can be easy. It can be hard. I mean, I'll bet you I, those people out there listening don't know what your best cosplay okay. act was. Cosplay is is when you dress up as a character from a book, a game, a, a movie, a TV show, whatever. You are you are taking on that persona and that as a look. And it could be a made up character. You know, hey, I'm dressed up as Anson. Rodriguez from whatever, and there was no Ensign Rodriguez. That's right, because I made up the character, and I am that person now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, immersing yourself, uh, it's immersing yourself in the fantasy of whatever. Yes, uh, and, and mine generally tend to stick around Star Trek. I've got four or five, maybe six Star Trek costumes, the black and gray from DS9 slash Insurrection. I've got okay. the white waiter from Insurrection. I call it the white waiter. That's what Picard and his senior crew were dressed up as at the beginning. So various costumes and cosplays from mostly Star Trek. And boy, they come out and change them every year or more. And like, I can't keep up with this. It's an expensive hobby. But there's always someone in China selling a cheap one. So thank goodness for that. There you go. Uh, I mean, just dress it up. The, it, it could be simple like that. I, I did one a few years ago where I had um, like one of those fake caps that go on your head that looks like your brains are sticking out. Mm. And I put a Klingon dagger in there and I went as the unfortunate red shirt. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one? I, I have a picture standing next to somebody cosplaying as Jesus, and like he's trying to heal me. It was it was a great picture. Yeah. The nice. the other one that I do is uh, from Futurama. I mentioned I'm a Futurama fan. And years ago, we, we came up with the idea to put a Santa Claus at the end of the Dragon Con parade. Dragon Con is a nerdy gras, is a great way to explain it, in Atlanta, Georgia, on Labor Day weekend, first weekend in September every year. So I made this mention on our first year, we went there in 2009. I'm going to put a Santa at the end of the parade. There's actually a video that documented us. They spotlighted our group at this last Dragon Con. So I'll share the link as soon as I can. It's still in post-production right now. I dress up as Hubert Farnsworth. Good news, everyone. You know, the, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, the 164-year-old the guy, I put on a bald appliance. It takes me an hour and a half to put on all the makeup. I get my lab coat, my slippers, and I, I shuffle down Peachtree Street in Atlanta, Georgia in my slippers and, and some surgical pants every year. It's, it's a wonderful time. But 
that's another community builder because out of this harebrained idea of putting Santa Claus at the end of the parade, who happens to be the evil robot Santa from the cartoon, and that's that's as much fun as it is. And uh, we get all these people. We got three Zap Brannigans, and we got two Fries, and a Lady Fry, and a Leela's mom, and it was it's this great community. And we get a group picture that's my banner art on Facebook. Every year I refresh it because it's a different group. And I, that's one of those moments to savor. Just stand there and go, a crazy idea, much like the bow tie, has grown into this. And people ad adore it. It, it. Just You can't let moments like that go by unrecognized. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my God, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we even start? Where do we? Starts <laughs> uh, running. Yeah. Well, we're 51 minutes of record. This has been we'll the longest episode. One. We'll do another one. Okay, what's your favorite karaoke song then, Mr. Well, it Diverse Interest? <laughs> okay, so I got, I got hooked on karaoke. It really hit its uh, peak at Knowledge 19. Is that when it was? Yeah, it was 19. Dave Slusher had us all go over to uh, Ellis Island in Vegas. It's like this 1960s casino. You know, one floor looked like Frank Sinatra could walk in at any moment. Sang nice. a few songs and it went, and that's when the idea hit me to build an app on ServiceNow that catalogs as many karaoke songs as I could find on YouTube and make an app out of this. And we use this for two. This year we had two digital karaoke parties at DragonCon. So I was up to like 2, 2.30 in the morning just hosting this party, singing a couple songs. It really depends on the venue. If I want to get something that people sing along with, I pick a sing-along song, you know, like, like Sweet Caroline or something? Like, yeah, Sweet Caroline or Centerfold by Jay Giles' band where they are going, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, nah. right, right, right. You get something to sing along. If if I'm at home and I just want to, you know, chill out, I'll go for some of the slower songs, anything from Air Supply to Journeys Faithfully or something. You get a rock out Journey? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You guys uh, the biggest vocal range of every any male human that's ever walked the earth. Oh, hey, sing sing some of the Queen songs, man. Freddie's all over the place. That is a blast. Or Frankie Valley, how he goes from the gravelly voice to the falsetto voice. Those are fun. Those are fun. Yeah, now, now, Chuck, now you've got me interested in karaoke. <laughs> but, of, but of course, Chuck's going to do the Queen and the and the Journey and all the all right? the ones like, the, the mere mortals can't do. Not like you don't do anything halfway, Chuck. <laughs> It's a grand experiment because it, as, as I was growing up, you know, we'd often do cartoon voices or something. And, and it's a lot like that. Singing these different character voices is a lot like doing those character voices. You just kind of find your range and, and what can you do? And at home, I can experiment and fail. It's real easy. And they go, something will click. And I go, oh, I like that song. Or sometimes I'll hear something on the radio and go, I, you know, I think I could do that. Let's try it out. Well, Chuck, you apparently have a hard stop in 120 seconds. And we didn't even talk about the Star Trek cruise yet. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, shall there be a part two? There should be a part two. <laughs> we'll leave the listener with that. All right. Leave them wanting more, right? Yep. Amen. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for stopping by, Chuck. It was uh, it was an honor. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I really appreciate it, Chuck. Hey yo, welcome to the winner's circle, special edition flow, I guess, Chuck Tomasi, making moves so pivotal, it's all respect from the team for real, Chuck's a legend with literal skills that kill, a black belt youper with the cleanest bow tie, like a ship from Star Trek, he's literally so fly. 
Diving deep, cracking codes, taking gnarly pics. Beat cancer in a fist fight, that's hardly it. Been putting working since 10, he's one of nine kids. Love and respect, boss man, handle your biz. You might have heard of him on breaking point or stunting at the roller rink to make a point. Win a circle, winners win, I'm feeling y'all can't stop me. Enjoy the special episode with Chuck Tomasi. Come on, yeah, winners win, baby, yeah. Welcome to the winner's circle.